Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. We are glad that you are with us as we get started. A friendly reminder that nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official statement of doctrine or belief of any particular school, church, or calling body. We are not affiliated with any particular school, church, or calling body, and that everything we say here is simply the belief or opinion of the man who states it and nothing more. Let's get started with the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. Uh, welcome to the show today. We got an interview with Mr. Dave Hockmuth of Wells Prison Ministries. Um, sitting in the chair next to me today is Cam Schrader. What's up, Cam? Not much. How you doing, Charlie? I'm doing great, man. Happy Saturday. Yeah, same to you. Awesome. Um, and we're, so like I said, glad to have Dave Hockmuth on the show today. Um, good morning, Dave. How you doing today? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Why don't we just start off? Uh, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, sure, thanks. So uh, my official title is Wells Prison Ministry Administrator. I work, um, well, prison, Wells Prison Ministry is part of Wells Special Ministries, which is a division of congregational services. So that's kind of the org chart. Uh, in which I find myself. Um, Jim Beringer is the director of uh, special ministries, and and we are both under John Hine. So that's uh, for anybody that knows our our synod synodical structure. That's where I fall. Prison ministry, hopefully more a little more interestingly, uh, has an interesting past. It's um, uh, about twenty five to thirty years old. It was actually started by a bunch of senior citizens in the New Ulm area um, who had this idea of trying to send the gospel where they couldn't go. And uh, so they had this idea of developing Bible studies using uh, relatively simple language, simple, simple English, to meet the demographic of, of the incarcerated person and, uh, and sending those in. And then the inmate can send a test back and get it uh, reviewed. And then we return that reviewed test with a little certificate that shows that they completed the course and it just took off. Um, inmates loved it because they could uh, uh, use those certificates to demonstrate to their parole boards and so forth that they were making changes and, and uh, well, hopefully be ready for release at an earlier date. And, uh, they, and they also, obviously, through the Spirit's work, were just being fed in a way that they hadn't been fed before and uh wow at at the peak we were sending out uh you know 70 or 80,000 of these bible studies a year and uh um yeah and uh getting about oh i would say 15,000 or so of the tests back per year um and uh but we'll get into the the challenges of the ministry that that number has fallen off for various reasons that we'll talk about. But uh, anyway, it's it's been very fruitful. Um, and it went from just people initially sending these tests or these studies to their members uh, that were behind bars, but then they would share it with their cellmates and whatnot. And and uh, we got requests for, you know, referral to be put on the list for the correspondence courses and whatnot. And, and uh, we've, yes, yeah, uh, served inmates from every state in the union, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, over those 25 years. So anyway, it's, uh, God has really blessed it. And, uh, and then from that, we've expanded to, um, try and equip people to do in personal ministry, not just these correspondence courses, uh, but personal visitation of, uh, correctional facilities, as well as mentoring returning citizens, that is inmates after they've been released. And uh, so those are some of the newer areas that we're developing and uh, looking to expand our um, 
capabilities in both as a as a ministry, but then more importantly to equip uh, congregations and and people to do that ministry across the nation. So that's uh, that's and I try to organize all that and keep it going in the right direction and and uh, find funding for that and uh, all of those aspects. So it's a it's a fun and busy job and uh, just it's just so exciting to be part of uh, something where you see the gospel going out and having an impact. Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you guys, it sounds like kind of three phases of your ministry, like the correspondence um, and then visitation and then like post-release. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. We categorize them by ministry by mail, which includes those correspondence courses that I mentioned. But it also includes a pretty uh, uh, large pen pal element where um, people are just writing letters um, to inmates. And we do that in a way it all goes through our New Ulm mailing center. So the, the pen pals use a, a pen name and send their letters to New Ulm and then New Ulm sends it on to the inmate. And using that system, we can protect personal information of the pen pals so they can remain anonymous and, and have uh, meaningful conversations, although albeit uh, through the written word, uh, with inmates, but still have the, the safety of uh, not having to you know, reveal personal information. Uh, and that's been very popular as well. So that's another element of the ministry by mail. Um, and then, yes, the personal visitation, which you know, we don't do a whole lot of it as a, as a ministry, but we train and equip the members of congregations across the synod. Um, and then uh, there's the mentoring as well uh, after their release. Again, that's in a, where we try to provide the training that will equip people uh, to do that and, and also facilitate uh, people getting into places, help them find places that will allow them to come into personally, as well as, you know, when we learn of an inmate that's being released in a, such and such a location, we'll, we'll contact the pastors and the congregations in that area and try to find a connection there that will work. Um, so, yeah, that, those are the three big areas. Awesome. Uh, so those correspondence courses, are they, um, do you find that most, uh, what, what percentage of the guys, uh, or I suppose inmates just in general, um, that you're contacting, what percentage of them do you think um, already know Jesus, like already are Christians? Is it a high number or are you introducing them to Jesus for the first time? Uh, there's some of both, definitely. It's hard to put percentages on it. Um, and, you know, that I think that's, that may be, changing a little bit that that number may be changing over time um you know just as things in the outside world have become more polarized uh things behind bars are the are the same way and and uh whereas 25 years ago christianity was generally thought of as a positive influence uh, both by the inmates as well as the correctional facilities you know, there's not as much of that natural if you want to call it uh inclination to to uh uh, consider Christian um, ideas. So uh, more and more, it's it's more the people that are Christian um, that are have been in, arrested and incarcerated that first pick up the the studies. But uh, I'd have to say that that they're pretty uh, pretty good about sharing that uh, with their uh, cellmates or podmates or whatever and. Uh, and so others are, are being exposed to it, and, and many for the first time. There, we do get comments back on tests that says, you know, I, I never knew Jesus, and, and uh, your booklets are helping me to know him, and I want to know him more, and, and, and stuff like that. So we, we definitely are reaching some people for the first time. That's awesome. Um, what is the, what's the climate like in prison as far as, like, Christ? You kind of mentioned that it's not as easy necessarily to get in and that um, the uh, – Obviously, American culture is kind of drifting away from from faith. Um, but what what's it? Is it difficult for guys to you know talk about their faith in prison? Is it is that something that's stigmatized or is that something that's uh, encouraged? I, I think it you know it depends on the facility and and whatnot. But uh, uh, there there's you know just like. Um, 
I'm trying to think of what to compare it to, but uh, not unlike maybe high school where there's different groups. Um, you know, in, in behind bars, it's the same kind of thing. People kind of collect into uh, different demographic groups. And, you know, Christianity is one of those. Um, you know, more and more uh, the Muslim faith is being more and more strongly represented behind bars. And, and uh, uh, there are other, you know, again, with, with general American culture being pretty, uh, well, either atheistic or agnostic or whatever uh, you want to call it, you know, there are uh, those groups that don't even, you know, want to even consider religion at all um, there as well. So I, you know, it's, it's just a special case of society in general. Um, I would, I don't know personally, cause I haven't been, you know, incarcerated, but I have a close relative who was and, and the sense I get is that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's similar. Uh, some of the challenges, even within the Christian element, though, are, again, uh, uh, people with, uh, you know, prosperity gospel ideas that, which you would think would be odd in a, in a, uh, in a correctional facility, but it's kind of a carrot that's out there. You know, if you get your life straightened out, uh, God's going to bless you and you know, all these problems that you're having are going to go away. And, and, uh, so that, that message is, is, uh, you know, tempting and, uh, many of the inmates, you know, that's attractive. Um, so yeah, there, there's, you know, just like in real life, there's the same things are going on behind bars. Are there a lot of other uh, groups doing ministry in in uh, prisons and with inmates? Uh, now, no, <laughs> and I only say that because of COVID. Um, you know, a lot of the personal um, ministry of personal visitation um, died when uh, last spring, when when the pandemic hit, and. Uh, it's, you know, like every place else, it's, there are new ways to do that. I uh, just had a conversation this week with a gentleman that's trying to reach a, a friend of his who's incarcerated and he's doing it by Zoom. So, you know, that's, that whole thing is uh, taking place behind bars as well. Um, so that's, you know, it's starting to pick up again through electronic um, communication, but the, um, you know, the, the, Church services that used to be held um, in in, in uh, correctional facilities are not being held, and uh, so actually, in in some ways, uh, the inmates are really looking forward to uh, to being fed in other ways, and uh, we we tried to meet that need last year. We had a special mailing where we mailed uh, 2000 different facilities across the country and said, Hey, we are here. We've got this correspondence course program that, you know, is, uh, alive and well, and, and, uh, perfectly suited for, a for, you know, a lockdown situation like everybody has. And, uh, we had a tremendous response to that. And just like six months after that mailing, we, we shipped out like 50,000 books of, uh, Bible studies. So, uh, there was a, a big response to that. And, um, so yeah, there's, but historically, yeah, everybody under the sun. Um, I shouldn't say that. There are, there are, um, you know, Chuck Colson's Prison Fellowship has a big uh, presence in incarceration uh, or in correctional facilities, and and uh, they're kind of the 800-pound gorilla, so to speak, in in the in the ministry area. But a lot of local churches all across the country have have. Uh, Worship services periodically. We've had well services once a month in some of the Wisconsin um, uh, facilities. Uh, that's uh, those are usually uh, conducted by the chaplains that are um, actually called by Institutional Ministries, one of our partners um, that does a lot of the in-person uh, visitation and ministry in Wisconsin. It was three Wisconsin districts, and um, so that uh, yeah, there's there's uh, some of that has not been restored yet. Um, my wife does uh, personal uh, visitation. She has been at, in Dane County, uh, Madison area, uh, Wisconsin, as well as Jefferson County, uh, in, in, right in Jefferson. And uh, 
she hasn't been able to get in yet back in yet so we're still waiting for those um opportunities to to open up again and uh yeah it's all uh, all over the map there are you know places for example dane county uh when we when they were first approached uh in terms of trying to get a, uh, some women in there into the women's jail to uh to do some Bible studies, uh, they said, no, we don't need any Bible studies. We've got enough of those. So um, again, our friends at institutional ministries had a, had a brainstorm or whatever, and, and they repackaged the Bible studies into what they called facing freedom. Um, and they took topical uh, ideas like finding new friends or how to deal with guilt and shame or, you know, these types of things that uh, inmates and especially returning citizens are going to have to deal with and uh and and said hey we want to you know bring this educational thing to you to your inmates about how they can prepare themselves to to returning to society and be more successful at at uh, you know staying out of of uh jail and so forth so and then they accepted that so sometimes we have to get creative um and all those Topical things were wrapped around, uh, you know, a Bible study. As one of the uh, finding new friends was uh, Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, and and how he had to, you know, develop a whole new set of contacts when he came to Christ, and and uh, couldn't go back to his old old, old bunch of friends because they would lead him away. And um, so we you take those ideas and uh, from the Bible, and you just uh, turn it into something that's helpful for people today. And uh, uh, so yeah, it just depends. It's uh, um, there's where there's a will, there's a way, and and where the Holy Spirit is working, there's a way. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was it really struck me how cool it was when you said that uh, that so many prison ministries had to shut down because of COVID. The fact that you guys had this this uh course that you had already been using very effectively, that perfectly was perfectly suited to be used during this time when when nothing else was possible. It really really kind of just shows that um that God's blessed what you're doing and and your numbers your numbers reflect that too. I also I also wanted to say uh when you mentioned the prosperity gospel the, the other side of the coin I what what I think just seems to me so powerful about this ministry um knowing the little amount that I that I do so far um is the message of of grace uh for somebody who who feels so undeserving of grace i mean we all we all experience that to an extent but to to be at this this place of of maybe a, a rock bottom and to hear this message of a, of a god that loves you freely despite everything that you've done and the mistakes that you've made that's that's a very powerful thing yeah that, i i get chills just thinking about um when you're able to look somebody in the eye and say the highest court in the universe has declared you not guilty. And we talk about justification being declared not guilty. You know how much that means to a person who has heard a judge say guilty? Um, it's, you know, we, we, we throw that out, declared not guilty, just to, you know, and without even really thinking about it, they think about it. They know it. They feel it. And uh, when, when you, Tell them that they are now a son and daughter of the king. And there is no court in the universe that could convict them for eternity. Uh, Jesus has already taken all that punishment. Um, they get it. And they get it immediately. And they, like you said, the, the grace just, just, I mean, you see it in their body language and in their, uh, the way they respond. Um, it's, it's transformative. And, and uh, it's, you know, some of the volunteers that go into uh, facilities and uh, share Jesus, you know, they will tell you, this is my favorite hour of the week. Um, nothing beats this. And uh, because you get to see the Holy Spirit work in real time, it's, it's, it's incredibly encouraging for the people going in, let alone the people that they're trying to serve. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, and I, I'm sure your, your volunteers are keenly aware of the fact, too, that they they go into these prisons and they're talking to the inmates, but those two people aren't aren't all that different when it comes to the the way that we stand before God. Uh, there, there's a passage right. in in Hebrews that says that that because of the blood of Christ we're able to enter into the most holy place, a place where we really have no business being as as sinful humans. But Christ is the curtain. Christ's blood is the curtain 
that divides um you know us us in the most holy place and because of his sacrifice we're able to enter freely uh and I, yeah i i that's such a powerful thing two well, sinful humans you know communicating grace and the other the other another aspect i should say of that is you know so many of these people have come from um you know bad families of origin that that uh you know moms and dads that didn't love them or at least didn't show love and uh situations like that and to again learn that there that the god of the universe loves them so much that he gave his only son um to uh, to buy them back it just you know they they've never heard that they're worth anything um and here the god of the universe gave up his son for them they were worth that much and uh it's just mind-blowing you know to them they can't you know they can't conceive that anybody would love them at all let alone that much and uh and so yeah it's um it's a really fruitful ministry. <laughs> the, the, the ears behind bars are so much more willing um, to listen to, you know, they know they need help. They, they've got issues and they got to find some way to deal with them. And so they're at least willing to listen. I mean, you go around your neighborhood and then try to share Jesus and, you know, they got to get to the soccer camp or, you know, get their tires rotated or, you know, they're, you know, the, the lawn needs mowing and et cetera, et cetera. They're, you know, their life is fine. It's full. They don't, they don't really need Jesus. These people know they need something and they're looking. And, uh, and so the, the, the ground is, is plowed and ready for that seed. And uh, uh, a lot of the, the richest soil is, uh, is behind bars. And uh, so that's a, it's a great opportunity that way too. Yeah. I, uh, so I, what uh, really, well, first of all, while you were saying that, I couldn't help but have you ever seen the movie Pain and Gain with uh, The Rock? No, no. There's, there's a character there who, uh, um, in the movie, who becomes a Christian behind bars, and he has a really hard time living out his Christianity um, out in the real world, ends up basically on purpose going back behind bars uh, where he has a community of, like, really, that what they're doing is making satire of Christianity. Um, but I actually thought it was really powerful how, like, he – has this community of brothers who love Jesus and are actively following him in prison. It actually makes him more comfortable to be in prison with those people um, who are a positive influence on him than the other way around. And obviously the movie was satirical, but um, actually I loved it. Do you experience uh, anything like that at all with um, uh, like the transition phase? Well, yeah, that's why we're, we're, uh, working hard to uh, provide training uh, for that type of activity where uh, one of, you know, an outside church member will say, Hey, I'm going to walk with this individual as he steps out from behind the bars and tries to get back uh, into a normal life and back into society because it is so challenging. I mean, you think about it. You, they walk out of there, and we expect them to find um, housing, employment, uh, transportation, um, all at once, uh, and with the deck stacked against them. And it's like asking a, you know, kindergartner to pass a calculus exam. It's just, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, uh, the expectations we have for uh, those people to be able to uh, assimilate back into society. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons you hear about recidivism, you know, the fact that they end up right back where they're, they came from. And, uh, and people write them off like, oh, how dumb are they that, that, that they just can't stay out of there? Well, <laughs> you try it. <laughs> uh, um, try to find, you know, those three things. And, you know, their families have rejected them in a lot of cases, so they don't, can't get any help that way. Um, and uh, it's, it's, completely understandable why they why they end up right back in where they belong, came from because it's it's a hard thing to do for a lot of them um and in you know some cases uh i i had a brother and that's why i'm in this chair now so to speak is um uh, i would have been like most people just you know lock them up and throw away the key you know i don't i don't even want to think about people in prison 
Um, but then my brother was arrested and spent four years in uh, the Wisconsin uh, system and then was released on parole and uh, went and lived with my sister. Um, and actually just uh, less than a month ago, uh, Jesus took him home. And, uh, and I, I kind of walked with him through that whole um, experience. Uh, I, oh, out here in California, uh, in Wisconsin, I, uh, my brother and I frequently visited my brother in prison. And I got to see the spectrum in terms of how well or how poorly we minister to uh, inmates in various facilities and whatnot. And it really varied quite a bit because in some cases there was a chaplain available that could come in and give Lord's Supper and, and provide uh, frequent visitation. And in another facility that he spent time in, uh, there was no chaplain available and it was up to the local pastor. And he was a busy guy and he got there as often as he could. But that was usually on Tuesday morning or something like that uh, when he had his Bible class. And that was the morning that my brother was, was had a job in the, in the prison library. And so he couldn't attend. And so he went for months without Lord's Supper or, uh, you know, personal gospel uh, ministry. And, and, uh, and then he was released. And like I said, I have a sister who lives out in California that was willing to take him in and uh, let him live at her place, which was a, a great blessing to him, but not many have that kind of uh, opportunity. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a challenge. Uh, the, you know, his parole officer would show up you know, anytime, day or night, often with multiple uh, police cars and uh, members of the police force and grill uh, um, him, uh, turn the house inside out looking for any evidence of parole violation. And, um, you know, my sister had to endure that for, for five years. Um, and uh, it's just uh, uh, when you see the things that, that they go through and you, and you experience it, even secondhand in my case, um, you start to realize that, uh, um, you know, what is as much as we want justice and, and justice is a good thing that in this imperfect world, um, justice is often um, not as uh, not as perfect as we would like. And, uh, and it's hard. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I go on and on, but um, that's what, Lord used to plant in my heart uh, the desire to help people that a lot of others are not willing to help, and uh, and and I think that that's going to be a key to our future as a as a church body, as individuals trying to to uh, serve others, is uh, showing compassion where others might not be willing to do it. Um, John Hine at the Synod Convention in 2019. Had a had a talk and in, in which he mentioned um, uh, I can't remember the details, but it was a Roman historian, a pagan who was bemoaning the fact, I guess, that um, Christianity kept on growing and and uh, they were you know losing pagans to the Christians. And the reason he stated was, um, you know, these plagues come through and and the Christians are not only willing to take in their own and care for their own, they're taking in the pagans and caring for them too. And, and uh, uh, that's the kind of attitude and, and action we're going to need in, in the years ahead to, uh, to continue to exist as a, um, as, in, as a church body and as people gather to, to uh, serve others, you know, they're going to have to see that we care. Um, and then they'll, you know, the old saying, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's another part of my motivation is to, to help congregations, you know, look for, um, the, you know, people that can't get to the gospel or, or others are turning their back on or whatever and reach out. It doesn't have to be the incarcerated. It could be, um, you know, any other demographic that's, that's not well served, de developmentally disabled, or or whatever. Um, but find people that that 
need help and and show that help and share Jesus while you're doing it. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and and said so while you're talking, I was thinking about two gentlemen in particular from my personal experience, um, and I saw you know saw him go in both directions. One of them, no family, um, nobody wanted to contact him. His really only contact was church um, and the parole officer, which isn't always a pleasant experience. Um, and just how quickly, just like watching him from Sunday to Sunday, um, watching how he turned, you know, where the attitude went from being hopeful, being excited to be able to, I mean, to be a part of the community. And within a couple of months, you know, the attitude turns to, you know, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't belong. Nobody wants me here. Um, even, you know, even in church, nobody wants me here for this. Like, I can't even get on a city bus because the bus driver knows I'm a felon, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it didn't take long for I mean, his attitude, his actions followed his attitude. Uh, but I think about a different one where, like, it was a parent of a student at the school I was teaching at um, who had multiple violent felonies um, and even parole violations once he got out. Uh, but it was that that uh, his family didn't cut him off at all. And particularly from he had several kids, didn't cut him off at all. Um, and, like, just the ability I, – I remember him talking to me about – um, how important it was to go to a parent-teacher conference or to go to a basketball game. Like, he was at the point where he didn't even care about his own future or care about himself. Like, he was just trying to stay out so that he could be at doing these things for his kids. And honestly, he's a fantastic dad, a violent dude, but a fantastic dad um, who, I mean, he's free now. He's uh, um, He doesn't even have an anklet on or anything now. He's rocking and rolling um and being a great dad but that was the thing that kind of connected him and the ability of the school to just say all right you're here this is what we expect of you as a parent um i'm not saying that was the only thing that kept him from going back but uh like having that accountability and saying all right you're here you're a parent this is how we expect you to act that piece of the puzzle seemed to help him quite a bit yeah, that's that's a great story. Um, and again, both both sides of the coin. Um, and yeah, there's uh, lots of of uh, stories like that on you know with both outcomes. There's um, uh, a gentleman that found our books in behind bars and started taking our our courses. Um, I think his his conviction had something to do with uh, substance abuse, but anyway, um, spent you know served out his time and then was released and was so encouraged by our our booklets that he actually sought out a Wells congregation and um, in the Twin Cities area and started attending and took their information course. Um, we arranged to have a mentor to to meet with him regularly and and uh, encourage him and uh he was so moved by the you know all the help that he was given that he actually relocated to the to the norm area where our court our mail ministry by mail uh, occurs so that he could be more involved in our ministry and help others and uh it, yeah yeah it's uh, it's wow. pretty phenomenal and um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of times uh, these folks get out and they've got this passion to help people that had been in their shoes um, or people that are in their shoes, um, what the, the shoes that they formerly wore, so to speak. And um, and then, so you have to try to try to um, uh, channel that enthusiasm because uh, again, you do, sometimes they. They want to run before they can walk, but nevertheless, there's just so much desire uh, because of the firsthand knowledge of what others are facing to help. Um, we've got to find ways not only to, to help them assimilate, but help them get into ministry and then, you know, become, you know, part of us. This is our ministry. And uh, um, and so that's that's cool, too. And you can even see that, that further step of not only um, making it, but then turning around and trying to help others make it. So um, that, that's, that's one of the, one of the joys and the, and the benefits of being in the, in the seat that I'm in is to be able to see things like that. Yeah, I think, I think that uh, the, the motivation to empower inmates that are released to 
kind of channel this new faith, this new um, hope that they have in Christ into a productive, um, I guess, avenue of service for a church or for their community. That's a really, that's a really great thing. The question that I had kind of is, I think that as powerful as grace is and as obviously as awesome as a church is um, to be the, the place where people go to receive the word and to receive um, the message of the gospel, my fear is that that churches can can be so just sanitized um, at times to the to the extent that all these people who are living in you know maybe a suburban community they have all got their their upper middle class jobs. How how do you I guess equip a church to be able to facilitate that empowerment of a of a recently released inmate? You mentioned a mentor. Um, what kind of things in that in that line do you have of in place to to really make sure that this this goes well? Great question. Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet answer. You know, do this and you know it'll happen. But it's it's applying um, the word to ourselves and helping others apply it to themselves and opening eyes to to as God did in my case to to the challenges that are there for these people and um, a whole combination of things. Uh, one strategy that um, I think uh, has been successful and we're hoping to, to multiply is to seek out the people with the hearts uh, for this type of uh, ministry who haven't have that heart already for whatever reason they've had a, a nephew or a niece or somebody that's been arrested or you know something like that where you know they they start already understand some of the challenges already and are willing to to take that leap of faith um, and you know find those people and and start uh, training them for mentoring um, and then that person kind of becomes the uh, I don't know what you want to call it but buffer, I don't know if that's the right word, between the the released inmate and the rest of the congregation members. And and that that person uh will know you know who are the ones that that are going to be more accepting and who are the ones that are going to be more challenging and, and can um guide the the former inmate into uh relationships and you know Bible studies and, and uh you know meeting the right people so to speak. Um, that are going to be encouraging and, uh, and do it under the radar a little bit, and then and uh, uh, as it as it builds, you know, you don't have to necessarily publicize it widely that we're doing this, but you just do it, <laughs> and uh, uh, and the ones that have you know preconceived ideas. Uh, you may or may not be ever able to change that, but you work in spite of it. And, uh, um, and again, you just got to keep the me uh, repeating the message that we mentioned earlier there, but for the grace of God, go I, um, you know, we are all guilty and sinners in front of the throne of grace. And um, none of us deserve to, to, you know, be part of God's kingdom. And yet, you know, he saved all of us. There is no difference. <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's just that, you know, my sins are a little more socially acceptable than this other person's. But in God's eyes, that doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> so, you know, and get people to understand that, that, uh, you know, this, you are, this person is not all that different from you. And uh, they've had maybe a rough upbringing or whatever there's you know there are circumstances in their lives that that you can't even fathom um and again it's encouraging people to to uh, get out of their comfort zones and and granted there you know there are there is risk um some of the people behind bars have become just phenomenal you know con men and con women um and you know we might accept somebody into our midst that's not not uh, being truthful and is, you know, trying to pull the wool over our eyes for whatever purpose. Um, you know, that, uh, again, there's things that you can recognize to, um, that might, uh, you know, 
help us see those things. But, uh, you know, we got to be able to say, okay, um, even in spite of the fact that, you know, it's, it, we may not win every situation. Um, in fact, there's probably more quote unquote failures than wins, but, uh, you know, that's what our lives are. You know, we, we come to seek and save a lost and, you know, that's maybe one sheep in 99. So, uh, let's, uh, Let's remember that, and every soul is precious to our Savior. And so, every one that we um, that we uh, the Spirit uses us to save for eternity is a huge win. You know, that outweighs who knows how many "quote unquote" failures. So, anyway, um, that's that's my thoughts along those lines. We're we're actually working on a congregational acceptance program to you know with Bible studies and and uh, um, sermon. Uh, you know, taking the regular lessons and finding the ones that would lend themselves to, to prison ministry and 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 accepting people back into the congregation and whatnot, and trying to you know do some of the legwork for congregations and, and pastors and so forth, um, so that they don't have to do you know, all the basic work and, and they can take that and then make it fit their situation. And uh, that should be hopefully available by the end of the year I would, or, uh, or, or soon thereafter. Um, Congregational Services is building a whole uh, library of resources um, that they'll make available online. And that's one of them, um, along with a bunch of other things, you know, all the way from evangelism, discipleship, worship, and special ministries. All four of our, our divisions are preparing resources to, to upload onto that thing for people to use. So... People should keep an eye on the congregational services and, and for announcements uh, uh, along those lines. Yeah, and to continue that train of thought, I think uh, there's a whole lot of – we've been blessed enough, most of us, that we have no idea what uh, prison is like or what – you know. all we know about prison or inmates or anything is you know, what we learn from TV shows or movies, You know, whether it's Shawshank or – uh, escape from Alcatraz or something like that. And we, like, we kind of, I think we apply what we know in that background knowledge from probably not the best and most accurate sources um, to this picture we have of, of inmates. Um, I, you, I, you said you, you personally have never been um, incarcerated, but you've got uh, friends and family who have. So what are your observations? Like what, what, what do you tell people when they say, you know, like, what prison, what is prison like? Um, well, I I can only go by what my personal observations and um, I was I was struck uh, on more than one occasion when I went to visit my brother and we're sitting in the uh, visiting room and it's a a whole bunch of chairs around little uh, coffee tables or whatever and there's you know groups of people meeting with family members or whatever uh, inmates and whatnot and um. And as I was sitting there, you have to wait. Sometimes you, you get ushered in and, and you sit down in your chair and um, at your station and, and uh, had to wait for my brother to be brought in. And so I'm just sitting there looking around the room. And I said, you know, if you take all these jumpsuits and put these guys in regular clothes, um, and, you know, change the environment a little bit, I mean, this could be an Applebee's. <laughs> These people are are just, you know, family sitting around talking, and and uh, um, you know, a lot of of uh, people look a lot like I did. Now, you know, the way Wisconsin, um, but you know, uh, where they put their inmates, you know, may have something to do with that. But I, you know, I don't know. There, there were. Um, African Americans and and uh, white people and and you know uh, other uh, ethnic groups you know all in all together there and um, it it was a, a it just was a mixture of regular society and uh, like I said kids and and uh, um, just happy to see mom or dad or whatever and. Uh, I don't know. It's um, uh, you're right. There are stereotypes, and there are places that resemble the stereotypes. But I think 
um, that that may be uh, the exception rather than the <laughs> than the rule. Um, that uh, again, that there are lots of of places where you know people are are a lot closer to us than than we realize and uh make a false distinction and and i don't know it just um that and and uh now there are um well the trying to characterize it. Uh, it again it was you know mine mine is second hand through my through my brother but um you know, he uh would just re reflect on the uh you know some of the challenges that people face there and and his uh response was always well you know as they say if you don't want to deal with these things don't get arrested don't don't do stupid things <laughs> he he was sort of you know, just resigned to the fact that you know, he was receiving the consequences of his action, and and uh, but he was gonna, uh, you know, try to survive in that environment uh, with grace and you know, knowing that he was forgiven and and uh, but realizing there were still earthly consequences for his actions, and and uh, um, he got a, a chance to to share that with other inmates, but you know, there was. One for one period of time, he had a cellmate that was just uh, as um, I don't know what word to use, but gruff and unfriendly, and you know all the however you want to characterize it, and uh, it was just enduring. It, you know, there was no um, no two ways about it, um, and you know, he just again his attitude was, well, you know, I can't tried to be to be a light in a dark place, but this particular individual doesn't want anything to do with it. So, you know, now it's up to just enduring it. And, um, and so Lord help me, you know, give me the endurance to, to put up with this for however long it lasts. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, the challenges are a little, you know, different than the outside world, but they result in the same kinds of struggles. And you know, it's that was maybe the parallel of somebody who's got a you know somebody in the cubicle next door that they just can't stand and have to work with every day or whatever. You know, it's it's the same sorts of things. And uh, uh, yeah, just again, my uh, my eyes are open to the commonalities and yet uh, the really um, individual and intense struggles that they have in certain, in, you know, in certain instances because of, like I said, getting out and having to find employment and, and housing and transportation. And, and oh man, I, you know, I, I just didn't, you know, that just didn't really hit me until I saw it. And uh, so. Yeah. I think what you just said is, is huge in this whole conversation, the, the commonality um, in the midst of the challenges, because if, if prison is just a building, full of human beings that is a lot less intimidating to people than this this like charlie was talking about this movie world that we've all like that that so many of us that's our that's our exposure and so if you can if you can destigmatize it to the extent that there are just this is just a building full of people who who are there and they're going to be there for for quite some time in a lot of cases and that's an untapped um that's an untapped ministry field in, in so many circumstances that these people are, are waiting to hear something that's going to give them hope. Right. And we have, we have that hope that we can share with them. Yeah, that, that's huge. And, and, and just, yeah, just like you said, that there, there, there are men like your brother who will be extremely receptive to this message, who um, our goal for them, no doubt, is that they can return to society and contribute and, and, live a live a normal life to the full the fullest extent that they can and so we'd be remiss not to take advantage of this opportunity when i mean i i learned i learned so much about myself um this is a this is a poor analogy but i learned i learned so much about myself when we were all quarantined for weeks on end and i'm i'm a hyper extrovert but for the first time i just really sat and i thought about my life and myself and and i thought about god and to a much, much larger extent in prison, these guys are 
are, are forced to really come to grips with who they are and what they've done and who they yeah. want to be and what they want to do. And so this, this is such a, such a powerful, um, it's just, just fresh slate that they're one day going to get, um, or an, even an opportunity that they have while they're incarcerated to, to grow and to expand their horizons into something that they couldn't have imagined before they were there. Right. Right. You know, just a little bit of a tangent. It's, it's interesting. Um, I read a paper, actually a seminary paper. Um, I think it was by Larry Neitzel, who was a second career, uh, pastor and, um, in which he looked at, uh, biblical, um, punishments, if you want to call it that, for civil crimes, um, you know, in the Old Testament, the, the law as God laid it down for the Israelites. And uh, the interesting thing uh, that he points out is um, incarceration is not included. <laughs> you know, there, there, there were the really, you know, capital crimes, adultery and blasphemy and all that. Um, and that was uh, uh, dealt with. Um, the way God instructed, uh, but there, you know, theft and things like that. Um, you know, the punishments were things like uh, restor- restitution. You know, you had to pay back what you stole, um, or uh, in some cases there was uh, banishment. You were, you know, had to be put outside the uh, the camp, or the, you know, the uh, you were no longer a, a member of the community. Uh, but locking somebody up for a period of time you know, was never uh, a, a choice that God used. <laughs> and uh, and yet, you know, culturally somehow we've come to this point where we, in history where it is um, just used so, you know, universally that we just think of that, that that's natural. Well, maybe it isn't so natural. Maybe, uh, maybe there are better ways to deal with, uh, with, um, you know, people that that break society's rules or whatever, um, and that's a you know whole big philosophical discussion <laughs> that we don't have time for, obviously. But it's just was striking to me that um, you know we've where we've come to. Obviously, the the thought was that you know spending time outside of society would make you penitent, you know, penitentiary. Um, and I I get it from a logical thought process, but. You know, I, the way it has evolved or whatever, um, it's not a very effective way to to make people penitent and, and desire and capable of returning to society and, and being productive. Um, it's a it's a pretty poor poor model for that. But it's the it's what we got is what we got to work with. So, um, you know, understanding that though it, it provides some insight perhaps for how how might we work with people to, to try to um, help them get back into the, into the community. You know, like I said, in the old Testament with the restitution or whatever, then, you know, once that was taken care of, that was it. And, uh, uh, and if our people could start to understand that, yeah, this person has paid his debt to society and debt to whoever he uh, ripped off or whatever, um, you know, he's part of the community again. And, uh, uh, start to you know realize that that's even a a biblical concept (laughs) uh not to not to mention all the fact that we're supposed to love our enemies but you know that's just from a from the way that that uh, god dealt with it uh, when he was in charge kind of interesting thought yeah uh well we got one more big question for you but uh, anything else you want to add on prison ministry before we close it out here uh well, just if, you know, if people want to get involved, um, there's lots of ways to get involved. First of all is prayer. You know, pray for us. Um, pray for uh, the people going into uh, correctional facilities. Pray for the inmates in the facilities. Uh, pray that God opens up facilities uh, back to personal visitation soon. Uh, pray that all those booklets we sent out last year find eager eyes and, and uh uh, hearts that that uh, take that message in. Uh, you can um, get involved as a test corrector or a, uh, a pen pal writer, and you can do that by um, emailing prison ministry 
all one word all run together prison ministry at wells.net and uh if you want to explore that if you're looking to do personal visitation or maybe mentoring uh get a hold of me um i'm at the wells uh, center for mission and ministry and uh my phone number there is uh, 414-256-3243 uh, that's 415-256-3243, or you can email me, dave.hochmuth <laughs> at wells.net. You probably, H-O-C-H-M-U-T-H is the, is the last name. And uh, I'll try to plug in. So that was the only other thing I wanted to make sure we got out there. Awesome. Uh, so then the big question I got to ask everybody. Um, uh, the Bible talks about David as being a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian man? It means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is uh, looking at yourself the way David did. Um, you know, he knew he screwed up bad and uh, uh, realized that, uh, you know, in his leadership position, uh, what, what effect that had. And, uh, and yet the Lord forgave him and calls him a man after his own heart. And, to do what we were saying before and, and, and look at people behind bars as no different than yourself. Um, you know, the, the, his description of his bones just aching because of his unconfessed sin um, is, uh, you know, start to think of people uh, that have great sin and, and earthly consequences as um, you know, other people Jesus died for and, uh, and then getting out of your comfort zone and doing something about it. Um, you know, explore that, uh, mentoring ministry. I uh, have a recent, uh, well, a guy that's recently got involved last few years, um, retired at a, you know, I don't know, 60 or something like that. Uh, and so was looking for a new challenge and just sort of, Said, yeah, I'll give this a shot. Somebody said, I think you'd be good at this. Got into it, and um, and the conversations I've had with him are just amazing. He says, uh, Dave, I, I, um, this mentoring is uh, discipleship on steroids. He called it. He said, I, I, I look back to myself two years ago, or what, you know, when he started it, and I don't recognize myself. I, I have grown more. Excuse me. I have grown more in the last two years spiritually than I had in the 60 years before that. And uh, it's, you know, it's, you hear stuff like that and it's like, whoa, uh, God is doing some amazing things if, if we just step out in faith. And um, so, um, yeah, just, just be willing to, to try it. And, you know, maybe the Lord will use it as a way to, you know, redirect you in some other way, and maybe you won't stick with it. But, but uh, um, I, it, those that do stick with it, uh, almost to a person, have, have said, "Man, I'm so glad I did this. This is the best thing that I do now." And uh, so that that would be my response to that. Love it, absolutely love it. Um, so. Um, Dave, glad that you were on today. What, you want to say one more time uh, the contact information for you? Yeah, sure. So if people want to explore any of the things we've talked about, uh, my email is dave.hochmuth, H-O-C-H-M-U-T-H, at wells.net. And my phone number is uh, 414-256-3243. Awesome. Cam? Plug the, plug the stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Cam Shro, C-A-M-S-C-H-R-O. If you need anything, just shoot me a message. I'm always around. Awesome. Um, of course, you can find uh, Gird Up on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, all those awesome places. Um, we're cranking up our presence on YouTube. New videos coming out all the time. Um, and, of course, you can find us on the website or email at girdupministries at gmail.com. Dave, really happy to have you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I just 
obviously this is something I care about deeply and I want others to care about. So to have this opportunity was just gold. So thank you very much. Awesome. Love it. Um, gentlemen, go be the man that God created you to be. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.